from the Outreach Department at the Texas School for the Blind and Visually Impaired in Austin, Texas. This is A Sense of Texas. Here is your host, Emily Coleman. Welcome to A Sense of Texas. I'm Emily Coleman. At TSBVI, we encourage the professional growth of all employees and would like to see our students' backgrounds represented within our leadership too. Neva Fairchild from the American Foundation for the Blind joins us to talk about a program that provides leadership knowledge and skills to adults who are blind and a path to greater success. My name is Neva Fairchild. I've been in the field of vision rehabilitation for over 30 years. Since 2008, I've worked for the American Foundation for the Blind, and now I oversee the ASB Blind Leaders Development Program, which is finishing its third uh, cohort, third year, and we are uh, just launching the application for our fourth cohort, which will uh, close on June 15th, and we'll kick things off in uh, August with a whole new group of people. So I, uh, you know, you and I had talked about the program at the Texas AER conference because you presented, which was great. And I hadn't, I didn't know a lot about it. I thought it'd be a really good thing to share with the broader community. So um, why don't you tell us about the Blind Leaders Development Program a little bit more? So the Blind Leaders Development Program was dreamed of by our past CEO and President Carl Augusto, and another past CEO and President Kirk Adams, and my current Chief Programs Officer and boss at ASB, Sylvia Perez, that there needed to be a leadership program for people who are blind or have low vision who are working, but their careers are not moving upward like they would like them to. They don't really feel like they have room for advancement and they're feeling like they have more to offer than they have been given or have found opportunities to share. The difference between the AFB Blind Leaders Development Program and other leadership development programs for people who are blind or have low vision is that we're working with people who are employed. We asked for them to be employed at least three years. We have had people who have been employed for 20 years be fellows in the program because they just didn't feel like they had the leadership skills to do more than what they were doing now, and they wanted to do more. Leadership for a lot of people isn't always inside work in that, you know, they may not be a manager, they may not be a supervisor, they may not be working toward a C-suite job, but they want to have an impact in the workplace or in the community, and they have things to share, but they're just not sure how to do it. So the AFB Blind Leaders Program helps them do that. We uh, we cover a a curriculum from the Leadership Challenge with a certified facilitator who you may know, Lee Nasahi from Vision Serve Alliance, who is a fantastic presenter and just the perfect person to share the Leadership Challenge with a whole room full of people who are blind or have low vision. They learn some behaviors that they need to uh, pay attention to. They learn which behaviors they need to increase by taking an assessment of a 30 behaviors checklist that is associated with 
effective leaders and with leaders who people want to follow, which, you know, isn't that a good thing? Being a leader that somebody wants to follow is so much better than being a leader for people who have to follow you. For sure. And um, so they learn a lot about themselves and they learn a lot about how these behaviors affect how they are perceived and what they can accomplish. You know, for example, one of them is I seek feedback from people about my leadership style. Yeah, how many of us really think about doing that? Not very often, but the best leaders do that. And they take that feedback and use it constructively. You know, they don't get their feelings hurt and and get all mad because somebody gives them some constructive feedback. They take it and go, hmm, I didn't realize I was coming across that way. Maybe I need to do something about that. And the Leadership Challenge is part of the program. We also have Google Classroom uh, content, which lets the, the members of the cohort dig deeper into some of these concepts, apply them in case reviews. We, we use the Harvard case review method to ask questions. And, and asking questions is a really good leadership quality. The, one of the best leaders I've ever worked for is and was a master at asking the right questions and eliciting information. And I can remember thinking to myself in a meeting, and Judy Scott is who I'm talking about. She asked a question, and I, I only thought this. Thank God I didn't say it. Um, Judy asked and answered they already told us about this let's let's get on with it yeah boy was I wrong because the way Judy asked the question it elicited more information that gave us more details to help us better make a decision whereas what they had told us earlier was kind of the superficial stuff by her asking another question really about the same thing but maybe worded a little Mm -hmm. different we got much better information. So the best leaders are good question askers. Yeah, that is such an important skill that I'm still working on. <laughs> mm-hmm, me too. <laughs> me too. I, uh, I think that um, the other thing that the Blind Leaders Development Program brings to the, the fellows is connection with other people who are blind or have low vision who are working who have different levels of, you know, professional responsibilities. And this is not just, this program is not just for people in the, you know, the higher upper echelons of of a job or of a workplace. It could be for somebody who's, you know, entry level, but wants to do more. It could be for somebody who's maybe made one or two advancements in a 10-year career, but knows they have more to give, just don't know how to do it. The thing that people have told me when we've asked for feedback, and this was just a couple of weeks ago in a in a mentor's gab session, for lack of a better word, we call it happy hour, but it's not really happy hour, it's discussion group. One of the mentors told us that she had always felt like she had nothing more to, to learn, to grow, to do. And blind leaders made her realize that, yeah, that is not the case, that she has lots more she needs to learn and much more that much more that she wants to do. And she felt challenged by being around a lot of other really capable, competent, energetic, driven 
people who just happen to be blind or low vision. It sounds like it's very uh, empowering in a lot of ways. That's what we hear over and over, that people feel validated. Mm -hmm. Hey, I'm not the only one on the planet like me. Mm -hmm. Other people are dealing with the same stuff I'm dealing with. And I'm sure your students at the School for the Blind experience that some too, even in young ages. But a lot of us never had that opportunity as children or as young people to be around a lot of different people who are blind or low vision. And so it is empowering because we challenge each other. Some of the components of the last two cohorts have been in-person. The fourth cohort um, does not have an in-person component planned as of yet. We are hoping to do that. It may be at an additional fee to the participants. And and if so, that's going to make it hard for some of the people to come. But in that in-person encounter, people constantly said, because so-and-so got up and went to the buffet on their own and got breakfast by talking with the people around them and by asking for assistance when they needed it, I realized that I could do that too. Because somebody traveled from the hotel to the, you know, dinner out after the training was over, I had the courage to try that too. I would have never done that in the past without a sighted guide or a member of my family or something like that. Things that some of us take very much for granted. Some of these folks don't have the knowledge or the skill. And I can attest from my own life, I was 30 years old before I learned to use a long white cane and before I ever went someplace for the first time by myself. Wow. The first 30 years of my life, I thought the only way to do it was to have a family member or a friend take me there the first time, show me around, show me where all the trippers were, where are the curbs, where are the steps, where's the door I'm going for, where's the room inside the building I'm going for. And then I could go back and and find my way around and be safe, but I didn't ever know that I could do that on my own until I got O&M training. And you know, you know how much I travel on my own now. Yeah, that's so hard for me to believe that what you're saying right now. Yeah, yeah. And it was hard for me to believe too. And here's the other side of that coin. I never knew I was living a life of limits mm. until I made a trip to downtown Dallas to the Dallas Public Library to see my very first ever CCTV in 1986. Mm-hmm. Thought I had died and gone to heaven because <laughs> all of a sudden I could read a book and I could get there on my own and I, nobody had to tell me, nobody had to show me. I did it with my cane and my brain. Wow. So was it just, Neva, when you you said that you didn't realize you could independently travel was it it was just never an idea that came to your mind that it was something you could do on your own no no it was never something that even occurred to me I never even said I wish I could yeah I just always thought that's what you have to do when you can't see so good Mm, interesting and I think that's what a lot of the people in the blind leaders development program experienced when they saw other people with less vision than them, people with the same vision as them, Mm -hmm. doing things that they never imagined being able to do. Wow, what a positive impact. 
mean, that's, that's yeah. pretty, yeah. that's pretty we- incredible. I was, I was thinking of the blind leaders program as a, as a, a an avenue to tap, you know, mentors and role models for students, but from what you're sharing, they're more so mentors and role models for each other as they go through the process. They definitely are. And, and just because they're fellows or just because they're mentors doesn't mean that's the only time that, that, that they're only playing that role. They're only yeah. in that role. They, they oftentimes, you know, reverse roles and the fellow shows the mentor something they never knew or never mm-hmm. understood or never even thought about, which is why we've changed the program this year a little bit to instead of having one-on-one mentor fellows, assigned, we're going to have what we're calling mastermind groups, Hmm. where there are going to be five fellows to one mentor, and a mentor that is vetted, that is recruited, that we know, you know, is a super strong, uh, you know, leader already. Mm -hmm. And whether they came through our program or not, we, we have evidence that they found their leadership skills somewhere along the line. You don't always have to have a mentor who is blind to learn stuff right. <laughs> about being a leader. Right. Um, I've learned things from you, Emily. And, <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's being open to and aware of the fact that we all have strengths and we all have limitations. And one of the things those of us who want to grow do is we work on those things that we find are limiting us. Yeah. And I think it's a lifelong process. I don't think it I don't think I don't think we get it at any one point in our life. I'm I'm 66 and I'm definitely still learning things. <laughs> and don't plan on stopping. <laughs> I really like that idea of having a 5 to 1 model because you're building sort of a a community pod within the mm-hmm. the process that that's such a great idea i've never i don't know if i've heard of that before in a mentor situation usually it is one-on-one exactly exactly and it's it's very hard to sustain and it's also hard to always make the right right match of one mentor to one fellow and i would say in the three cohorts we've had thus far i would say about 20 percent of the mentor fellow matches just don't work. Yeah. Yeah. And so we have to make a change. Sometimes, unfortunately, that change is the fellow drops out. Sometimes it's, uh, you know, a switch to a new mentor, recruiting a new mentor that, you know, that has some traitor or ability that that fellow is really looking to, to grow. And sometimes it's just so serendipity that the mentor fellow match, and we do a we do a screening tool to try to find out people's learning styles and, yeah, you know, all the things we can do to try to, you know, make good matches. And, and we ask the fellows, what are you looking for in a mentor? And we ask the mentors, what do you have to offer a fellow? What, what things do you think are your greatest strengths to share? And, and we try to match those. It just doesn't always work. Sometimes it works even when upon first meeting, they think, oh, why did they match me with this person? And then they get to talking, and it's just this amazing relationship. Oh. <laughs> and then sometimes it's not. <laughs> <laughs> kind of that hard to judge a book by its cover kind of thing. It definitely is. 
Huh. Well, I also would think like having a, a group working with one mentor, you know, the more they got to know each other, I would expect that they would start to turn to each other for advice and questions, which would be more student driven learning, which can be really powerful too. Precisely. Because the mentor, you know, may not be great with um, JAWS and Google Classroom. Yeah. Right? Yeah. But one of the other fellows may be a whiz-bang at it and is happy to share and, and help people, you know, get comfortable with the technology they're trying to use in a new way. One of the things we noticed with the very uh, first cohort that was that a lot of people who are successfully working are working with very limited tech knowledge. They can do the one or two or five things they have to do for their job. They can't do anything else. Yeah. You know? And... If you're going to be a leader, you have to be more flexible than that. You have to have more options to turn to. And, and so we, we found that one of the things is, is helping people to level up their, their, both their productivity technology, but also their assistive technology. You have, you have to be fluid with your, uh, both your access needs and your mainstream needs you know it's like it's like when everybody started using zoom back when the pandemic hit you know prior to using prior to the pandemic i used zoom we had it at work and i used it as a conference call line <laughs> right yeah just the phone number that's it just the phone number mm-hmm. lots of people can join the same phone number okay great you know hey free conference call does the same thing by the way yeah um and then I learned all of the different aspects of Zoom and what all it was capable of doing and screen sharing and video recording and oh my goodness, you know? Yeah. But it, it was it was a steep learning curve there for a little while. And now it's as, you know, normal as sliced bread. That's right. Yeah. But there's a new piece of technology around the corner that is going to be not as usual as sliced bread. That's gonna Yeah require me and require other people who are blind to get proficient, to stay up, to be involved, to to be active. Guarding against complacency, I think, is one of the best things that the Blind Leaders Development Program does for people who have been working for a while, is to kind of kick them in the tail feathers and get them on their feet doing stuff. And, and showing people what they are capable of. Because the goal, the reason blind leaders exist is to move the needle on employment of people who are blind or have low vision. We want people to get jobs. Well, in order for them to get jobs, people who are hiring need to know that people who are blind can do stuff. They have to believe it. They have to understand it. And the only way they're going to understand it is if there are people on their team, at their job, in their, you know, group that are blind or have a visual impairment that they have seen in action that naturally dispels that societal view of people with disabilities in general and people who are blind or have low vision specifically that, you know, they don't, they, they, they don't have anything to offer me. I don't, I don't need them. There's lots of able-bodied people out there. Sure there are, but those able-bodied people don't necessarily have the same way of thinking and the same way of problem-solving and the same way of doing things as someone else. And, and therefore, the team is missing out 
on that type of thinking and completely missing, you know, a part of their constituency, a part of their customer base, a part of the people who receive their services. Because, I mean, the numbers are growing exponentially um, for people who are blind or visually impaired. So, I'm trying to dispel this whole idea that blindness is a low-incidence population. We've heard that. All my career, I've heard that. Yeah. In the education arena, compared to other children with disabilities, okay, I, I'll buy it, all right? A school district may have, you know, two, three, one kid with a visual impairment, right? Yeah. But in society, when you start adding up all of those adults who lose vision because of disease process or accident or illness, and then all the older people who are losing vision because of age-related eye conditions, the numbers are astronomical. So we have to think of us, we have to think of us as broader, you know? Mm-hmm. That's, that's another thing that we, we talk about in the Blind Leaders Program is that it's not us and them, it's always us. We're, we're a part of whatever we're involved in. We're a part of work. It's all us. Yeah. Yep. And we're a part of our community, our city, our county, our state. It's all us. We have to have a voice. We have to be at the table. We have to express our needs and we have to work toward a better world for everybody. I really like that phrase you used, guarding against complacency. Boy, that we all we all need to do that. And uh, I think anytime we try to develop ourselves or learn and grow, it helps that. So that's a great way to think about this program too. Yeah, yeah, I I agree. And and I think the thing that resonated with you in my presentation that at least caused you to make a comment was the fact that the Blind Leaders Program isn't just for people who want to be supervisors, who want to manage, who want to oversee. Leadership skills are needed by everybody at every position within any organization. So 32 years of working in the field of blindness and visual impairment, and I have only ever supervised a total of one person at a time. And they were always my secretarial or administrative assistant support, okay? And I'll be honest with you, I never wanted to supervise anybody. If somebody else would have supervised them, I would have been so happy. All I wanted to do is work with them and work together on what we needed to accomplish, Mm -hmm. right? I just, I've never wanted to be a manager. I've always wanted to stay in the direct service, working with and for people who are blind. And and I made I made choices about that. Right? Yeah. I made choices in my career moves. You know, when people approached me, you know, do you want to be a this and a that and the other? No. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> no. Thank you though. Mm-hmm. But and and I didn't seek leadership, but I wanted to give back and I wanted to do more. So that's how I became a leader a leader in the AER, our, our professional association. I was a leader in our local community, uh, the Dallas Area Rehabilitation Association, which was all disability service providers, you know, mm-hmm. a leader in my women's group at church, those kinds of things. I, it wasn't because I was seeking leadership. It was because I wanted to give back. I wanted to do more. I, I've always been a helper kind of person. Go figure what I do for a living. And so that's what we we acknowledge in the Blind Leaders Development Program. 
is that leaders are not managers always. Managers sure do need to be good leaders. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. That's true. But just because you want to lead doesn't mean you have to, you know, you ever have to be a, a supervisor or a manager. So, Neva, it sounds like you're casting a broad net. So if somebody was interested in applying to the program, who's eligible and how do they apply? Okay. So how they apply is super easy. Uh, it's a page on our website, afb.org slash blindleaders, all one word. The first page is an overview of the program. The second page is a what to expect as a fellow in the program, the, the commitments and, and what you're, you know, what you're getting yourself into is explained. And then the third page is an online fully accessible application form. Okay. And the difference between our leadership program and any leadership program that you can go to in any city or any region of the country for people who are working, who want want to get leadership training is that we're fully accessible. And you would think in this day and time that that would not be so hard, but you would be wrong. Right. Right. (laughs) Because, okay, you can get the book in, you know, an accessible format. Maybe Bard has it. Maybe Audible has it. Maybe Bookshare has it. Maybe your spouse reads it to you. Whatever. Okay. Getting the book isn't that hard, but all of the forms and assessments and activities, they're not designed for people who are blind or visually impaired. And that component that lets you connect with and build a community and network of other people who are blind or visually impaired isn't there either. So the applicants we are looking for have been working for at least three years. We want them to be able to apply what they're learning to their past experience and plan for their future. It could be, and we have some people who've been in the cohort, that you worked for, you know, a year or two and then your vision loss increased so that your vision started interfering with your job. And maybe you don't have all of the intricacies worked out of how am I going to continue to do this job with my vision loss, but you're still working and you're wanting to make changes and wanting to find answers to those questions that everybody asks who has a deteriorating eye condition. Will I be able to continue to do this job? If so, how long? And with what accommodations? How can I do it? We've got folks who are answering that those questions for themselves as a part of this leadership development. We don't replace VR by any means, sure. but it's a network of people that have answers that have walked the path ahead of you that have ideas to share, to take or leave. We also would like for them to reach out to their employer and ask for the ability to attend sessions, some of the large group sessions and that type of thing that are during the day, during work hours, as a part of professional development. And this year, because there is a tuition fee for the program, I think people are going to want to reach out to their employer because the cost of the program is $6,000 per person. And an employer or an organization that would be sponsoring them like a, you know, a a civic organization could even sponsor a person would pay that. And if the individual has no support from their employer, no civic organization, then they can apply for a scholarship 
from AFB, and that would reduce the amount by up to $4,500. So the minimum a person would pay would be $1,500 for the program. It's a 10-month program, um, basically running on the on the academic year, uh, August to May. So that's who we're looking for. And the other thing that we're looking for in people is people who want to grow, who want to learn, who want to change for the betterment of our world, for society, for other people who are blind, for other people who have other disabilities, for people who are older. Whatever the person's passion is, we want to help them follow that passion and grow it. Well, that is a pretty good pitch right there. (laughs) I've always believed that we're all on a journey, and there are people ahead of us on that journey, and there are people behind us on that journey. We reach forward to those people ahead of us to ask for help, and then we can reach back and help people that are behind us on the path and tug them forward and share our knowledge and our experience to help others do more and and achieve their dreams. Do you know an infant or toddler in Texas who may have a vision problem? They may qualify for free services. Support from a teacher of students with visual impairment may increase a child's success in school and life. Call 817-740-7530 to find out more. That's 817-740-7530. Neva is an influential leader in the field of blind education and rehabilitation. And if she highly recommends this program, then I do too. Leadership development is helpful for everyone in any position. And AFB is providing a great resource to blind adults. Don't forget, applications are due June 15th. From the TSBVI Outreach Department and Ascents of Texas, I'm Emily Coleman. See you next time. This has been a presentation of the Texas School for the Blind and Visually Impaired Outreach Department. If you have any questions or suggestions for topics to cover in future episodes, please contact us at podcast at tsbvi.edu.